Welcome back to Motherhood Uncut. We are so glad you're here. In this podcast, Deb Rubin and I talk about all things motherhood related, the things that people don't usually want to bring to the table, the messy, the hilarious, the ugly, the challenging, the amazing, the beautiful, the really effed up, all that stuff. We've got it here for you. We bring to you our own personal experiences, moms, as well as some research and data that might help you along the way. Thanks for being here. Bring your friends. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We've got you. Come mother with us. Hey, everyone. I am so excited to share with you about the woman we interviewed this week. Her name is Micah Bernhardt, and she is a professional rock climber. She's a social entrepreneur, an author, a filmmaker, and a mother of twins. This interview was not only inspiring because she's obviously a total badass, but she is deeply vulnerable and shared with us so many little nuggets of her journey and how she has adjusted to her role as a mother while still holding her footing as a badass mountaineer. It was really fun to talk to her. My heart opened like a million times bigger just listening to her story and I just am so excited for you to be touched by her as well. I hope you enjoy the show. Not only do Deb and I love jewelry, but we are very, very passionate and committed to supporting brands and businesses that are local and small and intentional. Leela Inspired is a jewelry company that stands for three important pillars, create, connect, and explore. Their jewelry actually has meaning behind it, and it feels good to wear. Not only is it beautiful, but it's inspiring. We want you to check it out, leelainspired.com. Go to our show notes and find a code for a special discount. You will feel so good in this jewelry. And side note, you'll look good too. My friends, every important thing I have done in my life has had before its leap a ton of fear, uncertainty, kind of that frozenness that happens when we're right at the edge of something and we're not quite sure whether or not to take that leap. Every single thing I've done that's been meaningful, has had that moment before it. I am really excited to be offering this year-long program with my dear friend and leadership coach, Ashley Wick, called Take the Leap. It is a year of support, encouragement, platform, mindset, strategy to actually get you from here to there. I really want to invite you to come join us because this is a really exciting time and you're at the verge of something. If you want to learn more, if you're ready to apply, go on to my website, link is in the show notes and learn what the next steps are. This launches on April 5th and I'm telling you, good things are to come. I'm so excited to see what's up for you in this next year of your life. Come join us. Can't wait to see you there. Hello everyone, this is Deb. As you may know, I have a huge passion for self-discovery and growth, and I love nothing more than helping others evolve into their own unique ways. As mothers, we have a deep intuition that can sometimes feel muddled with time. In the Mother-Daughter Journey workshops for moms, I focus on honoring and helping participants to come back to that intuition, while also equipping you with some powerful tools to help strengthen that beautiful mother-daughter bond. I just launched my April and May group, so check them out on my website website, motherdaughterjourney.co. I can't wait to work with you. Hi, Deb. Hi, Kate. Happy podcast day. Happy podcast day. <laughs> we have 
such an amazing woman here today, and I'm so excited to introduce her. This is Micah Bernhardt, who is a conservational entrepreneur, professional athlete, which is just so badass, author, film producer, and above all, a mother of twins. And I got inspired by Micah because of her amazing book, which I'm going to let her speak about. But we want to just have her on this interview to learn about your story, Micah. So I'm going to turn it over to you. And will you please introduce yourself to yourself? You just have one um, <laughs> to our listeners. Yeah. It's so nice to be here with you both today. Thank you so much, Kate and Deb. Um, yeah. As you said, my name is Mike Burhart and I am a mama and I run a organization called Legato that disrupts conservation to build climate justice. And I also am a professional climber and someone who's trying to figure out how to put all those things together and not let go of them and do them all well in the world. Which is not easy. That's no, like, it's totally that's, insane. That is- <laughs> and Micah, you are located in California. Is that right? No, I live in New Hampshire. So I live in the mountains ah, of New Hampshire. So okay. I used to live in Colorado and Boulder and Estes Park. And I've lived in New Hampshire now for, you know, a decade plus. And yeah. Beautiful. East coaster. Yeah. I like it. Well, gosh, I'm like, see, when you said that I had this reaction, cause I'm like, no, I'm not. You're no, like, no, ah, um, uh, um, an import to the, to, um, the East coast. Can we say that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And isn't it so funny how we get like so intimately and personally attached to different places that we've yes. lived or been raised. I grew up in New York city and there is a part of me that's like once a New Yorker, always a New Yorker, <laughs> even if I prefer to live in Colorado. Exactly. I love it. Did you grow up in, in Estes park? No, I grew up in Minnesota. Um, so I grew up in Minneapolis when I say Minnesota, I think people can probably hear it. Um, I grew up in Minneapolis and then my life as a climber took me to Colorado to move to Estes park. I've, um, so I moved to Estes when I was 21 and I lived there for seven years and I lived in Boulder for seven years and then moved out East. Amazing. So I, I just personal story around me is I was a diehard climber for about a decade. It was all I lived, drank everything. It was, it was my whole identity. And I know the lifestyle of being so committed to that sport. And so that's what drew me to you of your story is so profound because, and I might be projecting here, but that lifestyle can be so self-consumed and partner consumed and, you know, really hard to tie down. And so how that relates to motherhood is just so profound. So I would love to invite you to tell us about that transition. If we can just such a great way to put it, Deb, I think that, um, climbing is amazing, right? Like I've been obsessed with climbing for, I don't know, since I was 15. So three decades, cause I'm 46, mm-hmm. more than three decades. Um, and climbing, like you're saying is so self-consumed. It takes a lot of time. It's a really bad hobby, right? Like don't go <laughs> pursue it because it's like, it's, you know, it's so much easier to, I don't know, like play pickleball or something like this. Right. Or even like be, but it like to go, the act of going climbing just takes a while. So what happens is I think anything that becomes important to us, that takes a lot of time. We end up validating it because it to justify the amount of time to justify taking the risk. And then suddenly it becomes like, it becomes outsized in importance. Like if you're going to go all in as a climber, you're really all in. Um, yes. and then to pair that with, with like becoming a parent for me, I didn't even want to talk about being a parent. I didn't even want to have that conversation as a young climber because I felt like I was going to lose agency as a climber by talking about parenthood, if that makes sense. Right. Um, and I think that that's my own BS probably that like, I wasn't, you know, 
like I was, I was having a conversation with someone today that, you know, my mom was a like charged in the corporate space and this was mm-hmm. in the seventies. So in the seventies, women could not say, Oh, by the way, I want to talk to you about how important it is to be a mom. If they were going right. to try to rock it. Right. And it's kind of like the same thing in the climbing world. When I was coming into the fray in like the late nineties and early two thousands, if I was like, yeah, I want to be this like pro climber. And by the way, I really want to have babies. I like whether or not it was true. I sure perceived this stress where it's like, no, don't like, like, don't see it. Don't say anything. Right. And so then you divorce yourself from that. It's like, well, that's not an option. And then people all are all around you are like, well, when you have kids, you're going to, you know, it's a sellout or you're going to, you're not, you're gonna have to stop climbing or you're a woman. And you know, you're watching all of the implications of that. So I basically was like, la, 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 la. I'm going to put up blinders on this. Right. Like I don't want to, because I don't want to be restricted, but then at the same time, all of a sudden I realized that, you know, as I got closer to 40, that if I wanted to have kids, if I wanted to have a shot, that that was really this time. And I, the way this is, you know, in hindsight, pretty hysterical. I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll try to get pregnant. You know, I was like, my husband and I were like, let's try to get pregnant because maybe we won't get pregnant. And if we, I was like, wouldn't that be great? Like if we can't get pregnant, we'll just be done thinking about this. Oh, thank God. Right. Like years and years of angst. It's just like, well, we just can't get pregnant. And instead we got pregnant with twins. So of course you did. Yeah, of course. <laughs> oh my God. It's I mean, so it funny how I love how you're talking about the sort of perspective of mothering and motherhood and the dilemma about how do we, you know, whether it's the seventies or the 2020s, right? How do we incorporate that idea, which for many of us is a profound desire and need. And for many of us is sort of a, it might even be a should right in the background, like Absolutely. a really, and then the conflict of what that all means with the rest of our life. And I think your description of both the dilemma of how to fit it in, but also the way of sort of quote unquote planning for it is so interesting, right? We spend all this time worried about getting pregnant And then of course there's this, you know, you have this whole other life that it sounds like you were saying, Micah, that we're feeling like, okay, I could go either way here. If I, if I get pregnant, I'm going to find a way to do that, which obviously you have to keep both going. And if I don't, I have this thing that I love that I'm invested in. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of like, okay, let's see, let's like, let's have the universe flip the coin. And yes. instead it was like, let's flip the coin twice at once. So, <laughs> and then that, you know, my whole idea of, well, and then if we do have a kid, we're just going to, you know, like kind of affix them to us and just keep going. And then suddenly I'm like, oh, oh no, there are two. Right. And yes. just like this crashing reality for me of on the one hand, I mean, right. Everybody, I love when you have twins, everybody's always like, oh, I always thought it'd be fun to have twins. And you're like, yep, yep. Everybody thinks it'd be really fun to have twins, but then you have twins, you know, <laughs> yes. like it changes so much. Uh, I mean, parenthood changes everything and having two at once for your first go around it's, you know, it, it's so not as freeing as you might've thought. Like we all think we're going to rock parenthood, right? We're going to like, we're going to do it differently. And we're, it's going to go, it's going to go great. And all these rules and whatever. And it's always like 180 degree shift from that. But I think mm-hmm. that when you have twins, it's like a 270 degree shift from that. Right. So I want to back up a little, if that's okay, because yeah. I feel like the fact that you had twins <clears throat> is such a reflection of just you as a woman. And so would you <laughs> mind just bringing our listeners up to speed just about the kind of climber you are? Cause it's not like the typical, I'm going to the gym, I'm pulling on plastic, then I'm going to yeah. go outside every now and then. So yeah. will you actually just help us understand just the depths of who you are as a climber? And then we'll shift to you as a mother. Yeah, totally. Um, so I have been, you know, I started climbing full time when I was in my early 
early twenties. Um, I was a climbing guide for a long time. Then I became a professional climber in my mid twenties have traveled all around the world, putting up first ascents, um, doing, you know, expeditions from places like Namibia to Ethiopia, to Alaska, running expeditions all over Latin America and really made a path for myself combining writing and social entrepreneurship and climbing. Um, and so, you know, my first book was about climbing in Ethiopia, did a series of films, one about uh, climbing in Namibia and one about climbing with scientists to find new species and launch a conservation initiative, which has now grown into Legato, which is a giant international disruptive conservation organization that I run in Kenya, Mozambique, and Peru. That all started with climbing. So I- you're just <laughs> fucking amazing. Yeah, I'm I just sitting have to here say like that. it's really, it's really astounding to hear all of that. I mean, that is a lifetime in and of itself. Wow. All of those things that you have done. Oh I'm, my god, I've got, I've got some chills. Me, hearing about all my smiles like wrapped around my head. <laughs> like you just embody climber with environment with ex- expression of writing with bringing other people in and making it so worldwide it's just like this beautiful combination so is there- well that's that's amazing <laughs> I mean for me it's also because I think you know when I started climbing I wanted to be the best climber in the world right and that was my plan when I was in my early 20s I'm like get out of the way I'm on the stage check me out and then I kept getting injured in my early 20s and I was like um so that was not in this whole like rocket ship to stardom in the climbing world plan that I had right like I did why am I not you know whatever climbing on the leaning tower right now and what I realized is that in order to be in that climbing space, there's this other part of me, which was kind of the intellectual part of me and the academic part of me that said, um, you know, but I can write about this and I can tell these stories. And I love what you said, Deb, about like, you know, being inclusive in that and bringing people into it because that became part of who I was in the climbing world. And I think, you know, and, and I, I love that. I love being the person who's like the loose tooth wiggler, like hurts and feels good in the climbing world. Who's like, Hey, yeah, I have this, I have a, I have a legit resume and how I bring it into this space has a ton of value. And I think I was at the right place, right time, um, to, to make that happen when I was in my twenties. And can I ask you to a question just about that? Because I, I, you know, Deb, Deb, I, I did not know Deb in her badass, her really determined climbing days, but I can like, envision her there. And I'm in awe of her as well around that. So the two of you as climbers, what is the scene for women in climbing these days? Can you just, I'm just really curious about that. What does it look like? What is, what does it look like for women climbers today in 2020? It's so different today than it. I mean, what's really cool about women in climbing is that it's been explosive growth, right? Right. Um, So, you know, you know, there's this idea that when birth control, first became possible that more women started climbing because they could, you know, they could stop themselves from having children. They could have more adventures. So there's like this really big push of women in the outdoor spaces and in climbing, it like came in. So you see in Yosemite and things like that, like more women showing up on the scene then, and then kind of astronomically growing. And, and then as new types of climbing come online, like bouldering, climbing without ropes, gym climbing, it's just this incredible invitation for anybody of any walk of life to be part of the climbing community. So climbing is going through a pretty big transformation. I would say right now, when I got into climbing in the late nineties, there there were still not a ton of women. There were more women than there were for, you know, when like the luminaries like Kitty Calhoun and Lynn Hill and, um, you know, Alison Hargraves, when they were kind of charging in the space. And so we've had these jumps, but it's still not 
there's still not as many women as men. And then there are still these things that we don't talk about in terms of women and climbing. It's like, well, why does it kind of peter out around this age? Or why do, you know, why are there all these young women climbing, but then, and then they're, they're rock climbing, but they're not ice climbing. And, or why are they not pushing as much in the, you know, like high mountains, like my friend, Ann Gilbert Chase, who's just an incredible Alpine climber and a fellow athlete at Patagonia. And part of that has to do with, by the time you've sort of sorted yourself out, if you're going to pursue a, like a really high level of Alpine climbing is right about the time when you're saying, am I going to have a kiddo? That's right. It. And it's like any career, right? I mean, it's kind of wild, right? Like they all, they, it's like, they might seem radically different, but you just like take some of the shit away and you're like, oh, actually, yep, there we go. Like how many women are you going to stave off parenthood? Do you become a parent and go do that? And mm -hmm. so like, we don't, it, I think that's why sometimes you're like, well, there are all these women, but then where do they go? You know, or why do they transition into these other paths of being a climber long-term? Yes. I couldn't agree more. I think there's also this like you said, whether you're professional or not, it is unbelievably time consuming. Mm. And these and long your body, rigorous, too, right? Absolutely. But where like a runner, you know, might go out for like a three hour run, that's, that's extreme for a long distance runner, a climber, it is all day, many days, especially if you're an outdoor climber. And I was yeah. an ice climber as well. And, and those, and mixed climbing, and those are just long days and yeah. to have, you need to have a partner you rely on. There's like the, and then there's the body piece. Yeah. I mean, that is like such a huge thing. I climbed through both pregnancies and I yeah. remember coming back after my second and my little one didn't want to hang out in the gym yeah. At the, at the, in the playroom. She just was not having it. And that was sort of the end for me. Cause I was yeah. like, for me to climb the way I want to climb, I yeah. have to train at a certain amount of hours. And it just wasn't aligning. And that's what's so messed up about it. Like it takes even to like the entry point, if you've been taking it seriously to get back to taking it seriously and performing is a big lift, right? Yes. I mean, I, one of the reasons, and I, you know, be careful because if all you Coloradans come move to New Hampshire, I will be blamed for this. But New Hampshire <laughs> is like an amazing place to live as a climber where I live up in the Mount Washington Valley because the access is so good. And when I lived in Boulder, for me to go ice climbing was epically difficult and would take forever. I woke up yesterday, it was book launch day. I woke up at like, okay, I'm going to be totally honest. I woke up at 3.30, which is also bananas. Wow, is that? I've been in London. So this is not, but normally I wake up around 4.30 or 5. And I was like all excited. And I got my team running in Kenya and Mozambique and like answered all these questions. Then I got my kids to school. Then I went ice climbing with my husband for four hours. And I came back, had two meetings for Legato, did a podcast and like got the kids from after school program, right? I, the I, reason- I can do that though, because I live where I live and I can go ice climbing 15 minutes from my house. If I lived in even Estes Park, which is like up close to Rocky Mountain National Park, you're still like, you know, an hour and 45 minutes before you're actually ice climbing and you're on blown out ice and you got super sweaty on the hike. So, I mean, those things, like it, it's a gift for me. That's not why I moved here, but it sure makes this whole, like this crazy assembly of things I do more possible. Micah, oh how old are your twins right now? How They're old six and a half. Okay. So let's actually transition. It's a beautiful transition. Um, so we're talking a lot about this lifestyle. We're also talking about the risk, right? That you're living this high risk lifestyle. So you find out you're pregnant and what happens for you? Uh, I freak out, <laughs> but I also like, I found out I was pregnant and I, I, I just had this moment of like, yeah, okay. Like this is happening. And it was this really wild time in my life to realize that I had done something that I 
I couldn't reverse. Right. Like, and I had actually, I spent a lot of time being like, did I make a mistake? Like, was this experiment a mistake and not toward the line of, you know, is this a, is this a pregnancy that I think I should terminate, which like everybody in the world should have the right to do. Um, but like, for me, I was like, I don't know what to do now. Like what, what have I, what is the path that I just launched myself on? Right. And then I found out that I was having twins and it became just this bananas reality check for me of, okay, I wanted to, like, I love when you're like, you climb through both pregnancies. That's so cool. I couldn't do that. Right. Yeah, like I totally did not. I effed my seasons up for when I got pregnant. So I had this like emerging belly while I was ice climbing. And I was like, well, this doesn't make like a lot of sense. And I don't live near a gym. If I live closer to a gym, I probably would have like gym climbed as much as I could have through my pregnancy. And also pregnancy kicked my ass. Like I was really tired. I was, and I also just got to this point. And I think that was again, like this divine intervention of sorts of like, oh, you're going to have twins. So all the things that you thought you're going to be able to pull off, just like sit your butt down Burhart, Right. Yes. Like, you know, and so I was like, you know what, what I want to do is have a healthy pregnancy. What I want to do is like bring these babies into the world. So it was not for me, like, can I go push the needle or push the envelope on this? I also was on a film tour when I was pregnant. Like I had just had my film, the Mooley come out. So like there were enough other things that I was charging at. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was, it was wild to suddenly be, you know, having to, you know, have this life of going to Patagonia that winter to go climbing and instead say, yeah, I'm going to grow two babies in my body instead. I'm so struck by the identity shifting you must have been going through, right? I mean, I think we all, when we become mothers, have this crazy kind of psychic trauma around identity shifting, but really the dramatic need for that for you yeah. all at once, right? I mean, and again, you're just describing, I, I am not a mom of twins. So I'm yeah. sitting here, I've worked with a lot of moms of twins, but I, of course, I don't know what it's like to be carrying two little people in my body at one time, but there really was not a lot of room for the both and for you yeah. in there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was also really wild for me because my husband is a full-time climber and mountain guide. And so I had this mirror held up to me of like, look what happens if you don't have this going on in your body, mm. right? Like, wow. here's what it looks like to just keep on the trajectory towards greatness, you know? And then I had mine where I'm like, Oh, I'm going to have a slightly different lane going on right here. And that was really hard. Um, yeah. it still is hard for me. And I think that I, it was a huge identity shift for me. And at the same time, you know, while I didn't necessarily plan my pregnancy so I could like rock it and rock, you know, rock, rock climbing while I was, you know, smaller and before I'd gained 70 pounds to bring, you know, twins fully into the world at six and eight pounds a piece. Um, but like wow. what that's, that's, I, a, that's a huge accomplishment. Actually. It was a huge accomplishment. I was like, I got this. I'm doing yeah. this. Because <laughs> usually twins are like four pounds. So that's oh, yeah. just really, yeah. we had some big babies. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but, um, you know, to, because I had that film tour, it gave me this way of holding on to my identity at the same time, because I could go out in the world and I could feel like I was still a climber because I was telling a story about being a, me as a climber, right. And me as a climber that launched this organization. And I, I haven't thought about it until you just said it, um, that way, but I think that was really important. I think that like, in, like was like, I'm like, I'm like, Oh, I need to have some gratitude for that in my life, that that was available because I think it probably helped me keep the, like the lights on in terms of my life as a climber and feel more like I wasn't just like subverting all of my identities at the same time. That is huge. That yeah. is really, really powerful. That actually is such an important message for all moms, no matter what, of how to keep a thread of your old life alive. 
right? It's like, because that can get so lost in the process. I think sometimes we have an expectation that the things that we want have to be firing in a really big way for the, for them to be part of us. And what one of the things I've learned um, like begrudgingly and through like a lot of dragging myself through stuff that was not that easy to learn. So don't, it's not like, whoa, I figured this out really well. But if it's there, if the desire is there for this part of your life, it counts, right? Mm-hmm. Like it might not be that you're doing it in a flashy way or, and I, it might not even be 2% in operation, but it's like, it's like, you know, it's like we, it's there and it's valuable and we can honor it on ourselves and be like, Hey, I feel you. Like, it's still part of, you're still part of me and I'll get you, I'll get you from 2% to 20%. I don't know when, but at some point I'm going to grow that, but just like stay cool. And I'm going to give myself some love that it's part of me. And I think we don't do that because it's this expectation that in order to really be, you know, to bring our former selves forward, we have to be charging in that space at a level like who the hell makes up that rule, right? But there's some sort of universe rule that we're in and that we do to ourselves, I think, especially as women, where it's like, well, but I'm not that, like, or I'm not a climber because my daughter like really couldn't be in the gym. And it's like, well, I don't know, maybe you were a climber for longer, but you weren't, but it, but you didn't give credit to what the 2% was. We talk so so much um, about our different parts on this podcast. And that's what I hear you addressing is that this is, there were parts of you that you could continue to access that helped you feel alive and connected to this community. And some parts of you, perhaps the more physical climber parts that you had to put on hold for a little bit, but you were still able to access these parts that kept you feeling alive in this piece of who you are. That's always been so important to you. Yeah. And alongside of that, like, you know, into like the internal family systems world, like I was also like just getting my ass handed to me about like what parts of me I had to manage from my you know childhood while I was becoming a new mom. So I had to give, make some space for like learning where those parts were. (laughs) Amazing. That's my favorite modality as a therapist to work with. So I love that you just dropped that. I mean, you're saying this 2% actually is really landing for me around. It's like keeping this little flame alive inside of you and that and I love that you said, even if it's not the thing that's face forward facing or flashier, like this is the big thing, it's still in there. And actually as a climber, like I, there is definitely a part of me that still identifies when I drive on I-70 and I'm looking at rock, yeah. like I can just see, I see it through such a different lens every yeah. time I, I can, I see a face. And so yeah. it's, thank it's you like the pilot light, it's like the pilot lights yeah. on there, Deb. Right. And the question is like, you know, maybe it, maybe that's the way it is forever. Maybe there are times in in your life where that's going to suddenly become, you you know, like come into fruition. But I think that we have to like, we're, we're in the long game. I mean, the goal is to be in the long game. Right. So I, I think that that's, what's so hard in the moment when you feel as a mom with young kids, like it's hard to feel like you get power right. And the decisions it's, you're kind of like, man, all the, like the world is happening to me um, versus I, and and, and I think there's a level of surrendering and there's also this level of having like this really gauzy look in your future saying like, okay, this is a season or this is a part of it. I mean, I did that when I was nursing the kids, you know, there's so much pressure on getting your body back. Like Beyonce was pregnant with twins, like right around the time that I was. And I was like, I'm just not going to look at Beyonce's pictures because like, <laughs> that is just like not going to help. I was like, I don't have all these personal trainers. And then I remember one, and I still haven't done it, but I was like, I want to find out if Beyonce was flipping nursing her babies, you know, like, and I was like <laughs> this is not going to end well. Right. <laughs> like, totally. just calm it down. But I had, I, I said, 
I, I'm just going to not worry about it until I'm done nursing. And I don't know when that's going to be right. When I started nursing, I was like, can I even do it? Right. Like, is this even going to happen? Maybe it'll be two months. Maybe it'll be, it ended up being two years. And at, like, finally, when I was done nursing my babies, which was really hard for me to let go of, like, okay, now what's my body doing? And it, giving myself that grace period of saying like, let's just take that script in my head and try to place it out of me. Like, don't worry about my clothes. Don't worry. You know, it's like, it just, this just is what it is. This is what, you know, this is the season I'm in. And I think that that was really helpful to me and maybe also really lucky that I got to have kind of like this two-year pause in it. It doesn't mean I wasn't like, I was climbing then I was, I was like back ice climbing in six months, all these things, but I wasn't like obsessed about some goal. I wasn't obsessed about like a physical goal or a climbing goal. I was like, yeah, I'm nursing. Like, let's see what happens. Let's just like be open to what it is. Wow. I mean, what you're saying right now is that you just chose, you chose to surrender. Yeah. You chose to like be in the present moment. I mean, you're basically describing all the things that we talk about all the time in this really beautiful way. And I don't doubt that there weren't struggles and, and challenges just along the way. Yeah. But it sounds like something inside of you kept you steady. Am I hearing that right? I think that's, I think part of it is, you know, actually, and my husband would say this, like he got it before I did, um, that I had a really hard labor. Um, so I was able to carry the twins, like I said, to 38 weeks and I'd had all these contractions for like the month leading up to their birth. So everyone thought like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then it kept, you know, and then finally I had to be induced. Um, and then after like 40 some hours and a fever during this, like I had an emergency C-section and it was like, I, when I found out I was having twins, I was not a pregnant mama going in with some birth plan that I thought I was going to be able to run point on. Right. I was like, I get it. I'm not, that's just not the world I'm in, especially where I live in Northern New Hampshire. Like I couldn't even find a doctor who was willing to let me go beyond 38 weeks. It's like, you know, this one doula is like, well, you should drive to Boston. I was like, I'm not driving to Boston to like, no, like it's fine. I'm going to use my local hospital, you know, all these things. But Peter said to me when I'd been nursing the kids for like, I don't even know if it was eight months. He's like, I think nursing is so important to you because it lets you get back this thing you feel like you lost during birth. Mm. Mm. You know, and I think like that was really astute. And I think for me, nursing gave me this like really big grounding. And it also made things calm down for all of us, like for me and for my kiddos, right? Because I had a trick. I was like, we can all just take a moment. Wow. <laughs> and there's, that was really powerful. There's <laughs> so much to that. I think you you said, uh, you're talking about something different, but you said sort of the universe's divine intervention. Like here I yeah. am, I have to learn that thing. And that is something you describe this life where you are doing these amazing things and moving and busy and your ideas are flowing and you're engaging. And then of course, you're just like you said, nursing one baby, let alone nursing two is like, uh, plant your tush down. Yeah, exactly. Low down. Yeah. I'm also really struck, you know, there's so much grief and loss that comes with becoming a mother. We don't talk about that very much. Yeah. We sort of set mothers up to assume that oh, it's going to be the best time of your life. And there's all these gifts and we don't really make room for all of the losses that we grieve. Yeah. You've already spoken to this quite a bit already, Micah, but, um, I just want to acknowledge that. I imagine that this, you know, an, uh, a sort of, you know, planned but unexpected quick pregnancy, right? And then a pregnancy with twins and then all of these parts of yourself that you've needed to sort of set aside for a little bit. 
there must have been a fair amount of grieving that you yeah. went through during this stage. I think there was. And I think, um, I, I had this thought when we like 10 minutes ago, when we were talking and we'll just try it out. Like, I think I, I, I wrote this book by accident. So I didn't write it intentionally. I sat down to like, when I found I was pregnant, all I wanted, I started writing audio, doing audio recordings on my phone. And then I started doing them to the kids. Cause I was just like sitting, I'd be driving places and I'd just like do an audio recording. So I was like, um, Hey babies who are in my belly, let's talk about stuff. Right. And, um, and eventually after they were about three years old, I realized that it could become a book. And someone had asked me recently, like, why, like, why did you make it a book? And maybe I made a book so I could have these conversations, right? Like this conversation we're having right now, because this is what I wanted. Like when I was in the midst of it, uh, these are the, like the nuance of conversation where I was like, oh my God, is everybody else going through this? Because this is bananas, right? And does anyone else feel like they're like at once super stoked to be doing this and the other hand, like really pissed and really terrified. And like, how do we manage all this? But you can very rarely have those conversations in these, like, you know, you're in passing with other parents, right? Like you're at some sort of play date or you're at some like children's museum and you're like running after a kid and you're like, how's it going? Great. Okay. And you end up talking about like the other stuff you end up talking, which is also important, like, you know, about like which sippy cup you should buy or like why the Velcro runs out on that thing, which are valid things. And you have to spend mental bandwidth doing, but like, all I wanted were these conversations because I was grieving a lot. And I was like, and I was like, what do I, so I just do it. And I just, I just ignore it. Or I'm also learning a ton about how I was raised at this point. And like, where does this go? And for me, it, where it went was in this book. And like, that's how I like processed so much of this was like, okay, well then I, like, I need, I need ballast. I need a place to put it. Wow. Amazing. You said something so powerful that I work with when I work with moms a lot is how do we hold polarities? You know, I want connection. I need space. Like I want this, I want that. And I think actually in motherhood and really all through life, whatever stage you're at as in the human development process is learning how to sit with those conflicting feelings. I think it is actually such, it's just a place where we can rest and we can hold capacity for having two completely opposing feelings at the same time. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's so, it's, that's so true. And so, um, it just like, it takes my breath away to hear that. Cause I think that is, that is so right. But yet what we try to pretend is that certainty is possible. Yes. Right. So like those right. things are in like diametrically opposed and in this tension. And if we can just say like, okay, it's really complex and it's okay to have all that complexity. And you can have, you can like fervently love your kiddos and have all these great things. And you can also be in a hellscape of like, I don't know if I like this, right. Yes. Or I don't know if I like who I am in this moment. Yes. And, and you feel horrible for admitting that, or it's like, there isn't space for it. And it's like, no, that doesn't take away anything from how much I love this experience. It doesn't take away anything from how much I'm like, so committed to like learning how to be a parent and showing up for my kiddos emotions. It's an end. It's like, and it's kicking my butt and I'm terrified and I'm scared. And I don't know if I can pull it off. Your book is such a manifestation of that. Cause here you are in the car by yourself, right? Feeling like, am I alone in these feelings? And then what you create from this sense of isolation is this book for the public, right? <laughs> it's like, what, how both and is that? Like you're so alone Point. in the experience. And then what a gift to all these other mothers out there to say, it's actually not abnormal. In fact, yeah. it's 
very common and normal to be in this place of uncertainty, to be in this place of both and, and to be having to struggle through it, even quote unquote, alone inside your own psyche, right? Yeah. It's just, it's such, your book is such a gift in that way. Yeah, it is. Thank you. I have a question. Um, what would you say you have learned the most about yourself as a woman through this transition into motherhood? It's a hard question. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting. Cause I, I feel like you chose your words really intentionally, right? Like as a woman, like not as a mom, you know, like what is, and I think I have learned as a woman, how to relate better to other women. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's made me a better human to be a mom. I feel like that comes across, like it's, it's that great moment, uh, that, that, and I have no idea who said this first, but I've like, I think about it a lot where like every, you know, not everybody's a parent, but everybody's a child, right? Like if we have that in common with everyone, and if you look around and suddenly you're like, Whoa, all of you were doing this too. Right. Like, and I didn't get it. And now I get it. Like I was married in my twenties and then I got divorced and, um, I remember being like, wow, I I get more people in the world. Now I've been, I've been married and divorced. Like I, like I have this currency. It's like, you speak this other language and it just made me more empathetic. Right. And then all of a sudden I got pregnant and I was, and I thought, holy cow, I've not been giving pregnancy. It's like real deuce. And then you become a parent. So all of these things, I think if we have this opportunity where they make us better humans and they make us like understand humanity and care about humanity more. And I mean, that in turn, the organization I run Legato, that changed Legato. Like we had been really working in the, the con- like more traditional conservation space um, with Lomwe communities living around Mount Namuli in Mozambique. And all of a sudden I'm a mom and I'm like, wait, why am I just helping people who live in one of the most amazing biodiverse areas in the world who are so marginalized by their country, um, by governance, by their resources, and they don't have anyone else supporting them, but I'm only going to support them in conservation. That's so wrong. I should be saying, what all do you need to make happen for your families to thrive and your place to thrive? And how do I get behind you to do that? And like, I literally shifted how Legato operates so that now that's what we deliver because of my experience of becoming a mama. Amazing. <laughs> we're like, I'm, we're both just like speechless. I'll tell you why I'm speechless. I'm speechless yeah. for a couple of reasons. One, I, I don't know how many times Deb and I, I know what Deb's thinking because she and I think we read each other's minds. <laughs> we're connected that way. I know that she's thinking the same thing I am. And like, how many times could I actually say out loud, excuse my language, you're a fucking badass, (laughs) right? So every time something comes out of your mouth, I'm more like, whoa, okay, so there's that. But I'm also just so somatically touched by this part of our conversation because it's true. I mean- I I'm sure you have this thing I can't relate to as a twin mom, right? I, I, you know, you, you can relate to other twin moms in a way I can't, but there is this thing that happens when we become as women, when we become mothers that opens up this visceral connection to life, just to life, right? That again, I am in full belief that not every woman has to, or should, or needs to be a mother. And there's plenty of things that of course, that, that I can't relate to that a non-mother woman, non-mother woman would have. And there is this connection to quote unquote life that happens when we raise little humans. And I feel it in my body when I hear you talking about it. It's profound. It is. I agree. And I think it also means like 
I think if we can do it and be vulnerable, like if we can do it and be vulnerable and like help catch other people when they need to be vulnerable. And I don't, I don't think we figured out how to do that entirely yet. Right. Because again, like what I did is, you know, I think it's, I got, was able to finally get very, very real with my husband about what I was going through and found girlfriends who I could have as part of this net, right. This like building this real net of people. But I feel like we need more of those, those, those paths. It's like, we sort of have like, well, you can go to therapy, right. Or like, I hope you find a couple girlfriends, um, or maybe you join this online chat group, but it's the, it's this weird shared experience that you're having with all these other parents and moments, but you, it's like, you can't touch down, right. Like you can't really be in the thick of it and like share this really vulnerable thing, but you desperately need it. So how do we help people get there? Right. Like, and maybe that, I mean, that's, I think what this book is about and and is for, and clearly what you are all trying to do by putting, you know, the podcast and in the work that you're supporting the world. And it's a, it's a, you, you mentioned this word uncertainty earlier. It's a, it's a requirement to be willing to be uncertain, to do this kind of vulnerable work. Well, right. We can't be vulnerable and know everything at the same time. Right. And, and I I don't know one mother that walks this planet that doesn't have 99% of the time an experience of uncertainty. Right. So it really is, um, I think your expression and your vulnerability around the uncertainties that you move through in this transition from being, you know, this really incredible, athlete traveling the world to really needing to incorporate your role as a mother into that identity, your willingness to be uncertain around that is what the gift is to people yeah. who are hearing you speak or reading your book or, or whatever. Yeah. Hopefully it's, I mean, I really see it as this invitation into sharing that. I, I, um, I'm trying to remember, I can't remember her name. Um, she's at, come on. She wrote, Maybe it was lean in. Yeah. It was like, it was who wrote lean in. What's her name? Come on. Oh, but she started Karen Sandelberg. Is that yeah, yeah. Am I right? Sanders. That? Uh-uh. Sanders. Yeah. So when then, when her husband died, she was talking a lot about grief and there, I remember just really being struck by something that she said, where she's like, if people have had a big loss, like don't ask them how they're doing, ask them how they're doing today. Yeah. And I feel like that's maybe how we need to talk to parents. Right? Oh, like, I love that. How are you doing today? Like mm-hmm. not, you know, it's like, like, and so like, today, for example, like my twins had a meltdown about who got to have the first crap. Right. You know, and it like totally derailed half the morning to the point where I was then going on a big power cross-country ski and started bonking. And I was like, why am I bonking? I'm like, oh my God. Cause I only had one crap. Like <laughs> that was a really bad idea. You know, <laughs> then I had to go into the meeting for legato, like, ah, and so I was like scarfing down, you know, it's like, how are you doing today? And it's like the human sharing of that. Right. It's like, give me the three things might give us like more of a space to say like, yeah, like here's the crazy mismatch of things that I don't really understand, but they're all driving right now. Cause we all have those. Oh my God. I love the today. I'm so yeah. going to borrow that because it actually, there's a couple other things that we as women are trained to compare against each yeah. other. It yeah. is like deeply ingrained in our system and it only keeps us separate. And everything you're talking about right now is that we're so much more connected and alike than we are different in this journey. Yes. And you're yeah. bringing grief and motherhood and the two, I think, go hand in hand. And, and, and when we can actually start to be present in the moment with what's happening, just moment to moment without comparing, without one-upping, without even thinking that this mom has it all together, you know, it's like, we just bring it all down a notch to this human experience of yes. connection. 
It's yeah. so powerful. So we're going to start to move towards completion, but I want to, um, something Kate and I bring up all the time is how important it is to tend to self, right. Mm-hmm. In order to show up for our kids. So what can you share with our listeners, some ways that you tend to yourself? I think that's such a funny question to ask a climber, right? Cause like, remember <laughs> at the beginning of this, we we're talking about how climbing is so self-absorptive, right? I'm like, um, so <laughs> <laughs> I go climbing, which then I feel like I've maybe done a little bit too much tending to self. Um, so, but for me, so for me, you know, it's little things it's, I wake up before my kiddos wake up. I never thought I would do, but you know, I wake up at, I have my own little green light, like a toddler does. And it's like when the light's green, I'm like, Oh, I get to get out of bed. Right. And it's an hour before my kids do. And I take that time to like, start my life so that then I can be more present to them when they're awake, because I want both of the, like, I need my time for self so that I can be the mom I want to be. Right. And like, those things are so important to me. Um, so, you know, it's waking up, it's getting exercise. Um, it's being gentle with myself about what that exercise is. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the other day I like, I live in like this cross country ski Mecca and I totally misfired on like the time of day I went skiing and the gear that I brought and it just kind of sucked. And I was like, I gotta do this. I have an hour and a half. And I was like, this is not fun. I'm going to go home. Like, I'm really tired. I still just got back from London. And, um, yeah, it's sort of, it's like, it's, it's sometimes you might have a plan of what you need for, to do for yourself, but in the moment you might realize it's not what you want to do. Or I also go get a pedicure and I work. I'm like that person. And I like, I flip and love it. Like I sit there and I get work done and get a pedicure and I'm like, yep, that's okay. Like, this is me. I don't read a magazine. I sit here and I get work done. <laughs> yes. Oh, so can you, do you have any other questions? Before we move on? I mean, I have a million questions, but that would take another hour. So maybe we'll have to have you back. I, I, I want people to know where to find more of you. I want to make sure everyone knows where to get your book. I yeah. can't wait to, wait to read that in completion. Um, I want people to know where to find. I actually want to know where to find more about your organization. Yeah, so tell us totally. To so um, the book is called more life on the edge of adventure and motherhood. And it's everywhere you want to buy books. Um, so you can go just Google more climbing and I bet you'll come up with it or my first name, M A J K A. Um, you can learn about legato, the organization I run at legatoinitiative.org. And now if you just type my name into a browser, you will find my website and everything you need to know about the book and legato is all linked there. We'll make sure all of that is in the show notes. Um, Gosh, I can't wait to, I already dove in a bit before this interview, but I'm going to go back and like really dive in. Oh, no, I can't wait to hear what you think at the end. And um, yeah. yeah, thank you. It's, it feels really wild to be doing this. And it like, it also feels really good to have so many people have read it already and be like, man, this matters. And I'm really glad you did it because I didn't realize it, but I kind of needed that net. Yeah. Oh, you matter so much. <laughs> Your story matters. I have chills all over my body. I just adore this conversation. I am so inspired by you. And thank you for giving us this time. Seriously. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It was a real, yeah, I just really enjoyed it and I needed it today. So thank you. Awesome. Thank well, you. Cheers to you. And it's it's National Women's Day. And oh yeah, it is. We're not <laughs> launching this for a couple of weeks, but cheers to women, right? Every single iteration there is. Every single version. What a perfect day for this interview. Yes. Thank you, (laughs) Micah. Thank you, Micah. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you tons, Kate and Deb. Take care. 
Hey, you guys, it's Kate. We really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And if you did, go ahead and share it with a friend. It also would mean the world to me and Deb if you would take a minute and write a review. If this podcast makes you laugh, makes you cry in the best of ways, helps you feel less alone, gives you information that's useful to you in your mothering journey, if you write a review, it will make this more accessible to other mothers like you. So take a minute. We'd be so grateful. Thanks for being here.